What if his people prayed? His people prayed. Those... Back to Extreme Makeover Prayer Edition. We're in the dining room, a place where we can come and really just relax a little bit and contemplate and reflect on everything that we've been given in life. Now, Marge, before we eat, I just wanted to offer up thanks. I didn't even get anything. Okay, Marge, let's just pray. May Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Lord, we thank you so much for everything that you've given us. And Lord, I think Marge thanks you, and I think she thanks me for everything that I've done for her as well. We've really, really renovated this place. This truly is an extreme makeover. The only issue is, I just think she's a little bit too materialistic and a little superficial, but please forgive her. I know she knows what she's doing. And the whole point of this was that she could look at these big differences and hopefully make a big difference in the lives of somebody else. But we'll continue to work on that. Amen. point out that none of the things I thought I was going to get, I've gotten, and yet he wanted me to be thankful for them. What on earth was I supposed to be thankful for? Nothing. All right. Well, welcome to part six in the prayer makeover series that we've been doing. If you're just tuning in here today for the first time, we're doing an extreme makeover, but we're doing it prayer style. But unlike the people in our lovely vignette there at the beginning is that we hopefully are making some substantive differences in our prayer life. All right, we've been going now for five weeks, and I'm hoping, just nod with your head if I'm saying the truth, that we're starting to see some differences in our prayer life, are we? Starting to do some things different, even if we're not necessarily feeling it, we're at least making the effort, and hopefully our prayer house that we've been building, because we agree that prayer is not an act, prayer is a house of prayer, Hopefully our prayer house looks different today than it did five weeks ago. And we're going to keep on building and building and building. And if you remember, the goal is to get to the top floor in the house of prayer. And what room is the top floor? Is the bedroom. Okay, and the bedroom represents the intimacy with our creator, the one to whom we pray, the intimacy with God. And we'll talk about that in the final week. But in order to get up there, we agreed that you're not going to have intimacy in the bedroom when there's a leak in the kitchen and when there's a hole in the dining room. We have to fix all these other areas in our house in order to have that up there, which is what we also desire. Today, we're going to talk about the next room in our house, and as you saw, we're going to talk about the dining room. I want you to notice something, that as we go higher and higher in our prayer house, it is not going to get easier. It's actually going to get more challenging and more difficult. And today in particular, I think will be especially challenging for some people. Up until now, the challenge of prayer has been a challenge of will. Make time to pray. Find, carve out some time, and the challenge has been distractions and work and, and things like that. Challenge of will. Well, starting today, we're not going to have a challenge of will. We're going to have a challenge of faith. Because up until this point, I've asked you to do things in the house of prayer that you want to do and that you feel like doing. You want to become the image of Christ. So that's why we spend time in structured prayer. You want to be clean. So that's why we spend time in repentance prayer. You want to uh, have guidance and wisdom. That's why we spend time praying through scripture. Well, today for the first time, I'm going to ask you to do something that a lot of you are not going to want to do. And you're going to feel like you don't want to do. We're going to challenge the way you're feeling and the faith and the trust that a lot of us have inside. Because today we're going to talk about thanking God and praising God. Talk about prayer of thanksgiving and prayer of praise. And it's going to come at a time when as I'm looking around and I go through these pews, I know that there's a lot of people here today who don't feel like thanking God. Who don't feel like praising Him. And the challenge of this prayer is going to be, like I said, a challenge of faith. That I'm going to ask you to take the medicine that you don't want to take. That you feel like everything inside you says, I don't want to do this right now. I'm not feeling it. Not a challenge of will, but a challenge of faith much deeper inside. But I believe that's the exact challenge a lot of people need. As I was praying for today, and I didn't know that the songs they were going to do in advance, but the songs seemed very appropriate. I believe there's a lot of people who are here today who are drowning in a sea of, and I'll just give a whole bunch of words, anger, bitterness, 
resentment, grudge holding, self-pity, and the list goes on and on. Do you want me to keep going? That's enough. There's a lot of people today who have those feelings. When I say, hey, stand up and thank God, thank and praise God, that everything inside you says, why? Why should I? Let me tell you what God did to me. And let me tell you the situation that I'm in. And let me tell you the circumstances. And everything inside you is going to say, complain to God. But that's where we're going to turn up the notch as we're going to turn up the heat on our house of prayer. And we're going to praise God and thank God in the middle of that. Because I believe that's the exact medicine that a lot of us need to find healing in our desert, as we sang in that beautiful song just a minute ago. Said another way, we're going to separate the men from the boys here today when it comes to prayer. We're going to separate, said another way, an expression that you often hear in sports is the contenders versus the pretenders. You hear this in sports? We're going to separate today who's in this prayer thing and really wants to get to that top floor versus who just wants to go through the motions and do what's easy. Because today's not going to be easy. And a lot of people today are going to get to this step and say, you know what? And you're going to see that you never, you don't really have what it takes or the desire or the, the will to get up there. But if you have that, then you have to take a tough step here today. And that's going to be when it comes to prayer, praise and thanksgiving. Let's take a step back. Let's take a step back and remind ourselves of what is prayer all about? What is prayer? I read a very nice quote the other day in a book that says this, that prayer is the human response to the love God pours upon every soul. I like this definition. Prayer is a response to God's love. We love him because he first loved us. Prayer is not to get God to love me. Prayer is because he loves me, I respond back in prayer. And if we're going to agree that prayer is a response to the love of God, the purest form that that response can take is thanksgiving and praise. The purest form of a response to the love of God. When we ask God for stuff, when we ask for washing, when we're going through scripture, these are all ways to respond to God. But the purest, the most, like if you boil it down, get rid of all the impurities at its, at its root, the love of God hits me. What is the purest response back? It's thanksgiving and praise. Now, I am going to use these terms, prayer and praise and thanksgiving, kind of back and forth. The Bible uses give thanks to the Lord, praise the Lord, bless the Lord, magnify the Lord, honor the Lord, adore. Like all these different words, they all kind of mean slightly different things, but I'm putting them all in the same genre of prayer. And it's the genre of asking nothing, seeking only to honor God and to glorify God. All in the same room. As I was preparing, a little piece of me said, you know what, praise and thanksgiving is kind of part of every prayer, isn't it? Like it should be a little bit, it's kind of the air that's in kind of every room in the house. And I can make a case of why that should be. But also I believe in addition to that, I believe it's a distinct thing. And we need to have distinct times where we do nothing other than seek God's glory, seek to honor him and thank him and praise him nothing for ourselves. What does that look like practically? Let me start you off here with a story, and it's a story that I'll tell in my own experience. And a lot of times things in the spiritual life, like there's no formula for it. So I'll just draw you a picture of one of, of my, one experience that I had several years back, okay? And hopefully we can kind of understand what it's supposed to look like. The year was 2006. And we went on our vacation. At the time, it was just me, my wife, and my first kid. And he was about a year old. Usually, we go on vacation. Like, we go on vacation usually after Easter. Right? Things kind of settle down. And usually, when we go on vacation, like, it's a time of rest, relaxing, kickback, like, enjoy. But somehow, on this particular trip, we were staying at this beach house. And somehow, on the first morning, I really felt, like, compelled by God to wake up really early in the morning. And I go spend some quiet time on the beach. And this is not usual for vacation. Vacation is usually the opposite. Sleep in. Like, I would love to say that I'm a holy man. I wake up early. That, uh, not on vacation. Okay, on vacation we're all kicking back. And somehow I went out there on the beach, and I felt God telling me, this is not a vacation. This is more of a retreat. So I was kind of bummed about that at first. Because I remember very vividly the NBA, like I usually don't watch too much TV during Lent and Holy Week and stuff like that. But then after Easter, I get caught up on my sports. And it's usually around the time of the NBA playoffs. And I remember at the time, okay, that there was a particular, it was 2006, so that was the year that LeBron knocked out the Wizards, okay, and the Cavs, and I was kind of bitter about that, and I really wanted to watch the next series where they were going to play against the Heat, and I really wanted to watch them get killed. But I really felt God telling me, like, retreat, don't even watch TV on the trip. And this is like 
this is like vacation is like when I watch TV. Like I usually don't. So this is like a big deal for me. But somehow I felt it. And I said, okay, you know what? I'm going to go with this. So I get out there early in that morning and I take my Bible. And I'm reading my Bible and it's, it's a normal, ordinary day. And somehow I'm reading in the Bible and I'm reading 2 Corinthians chapter 12. It's a passage about the grace of God. All right. And for, don't worry about the details of what it's about. But somehow I remember it very vividly. I'm sitting there on the beach, feet up on the reclining on the thing. And it's cold, but I don't, li- I don't mind the cold. I like it cold because when it's cold, I feel like you focus. And I'm sitting there on the beach, and all of a sudden, I felt it clicked. Not like a weird, like it clicked in here. Like for the first time in my life, I understood the grace of God. And like I said, I can't like draw it for you in a picture, but it was the first time in my life. The same verses I'd read so many times, somehow through a series of whatever was going on in my personal life, and I was feeling, and I was feeling, and I was feeling, and then I'm out there, and then I read about the grace of God. It's where, where Jesus said to St. Paul, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. All of a sudden, it clicked. It clicked. I got it. And I felt as if for the first time in my life, I had spoken about grace many times, but I never understood what in the world it was. Just one of those things I read from my notes, okay, and I'm, as a priest, I'm supposed to talk about grace. But I never understood it. Then all of a sudden, I understood it very, very clear. And it was one of those feelings of like, what do I do now? So I did the only thing, like I, as you see me, like I kind of, when I get like nerve, I walk around. So I, I, I had to get up. I had to walk around. I didn't know where to go, but I'm on the beach. Decided to walk up and down the beach. So I started walking. I started walking. I started walking. I probably walked like a mile and a half. There. I don't know how far I walked. I'm just walking along the beach and I'm walking and I'm processing. And then all of a sudden I decided I just wanted to pray. Because you're on the beach and it's so loud and you're by yourself. So I just started praying. And I'm looking at the ocean and the waves and the wind. And I started praying out loud. And then all of a sudden, I don't know why, I'm by myself on the beach, I said, why just pray? Why not sing it a little bit? So I started singing. I don't know why I was singing, but I started singing. And then believe me, I honestly, the, as I'm singing, I felt the wind coming stronger. And I felt the wind was singing too. So I'm like, you scream, I'm going to scream louder. And I'm there like an idiot, 5 o'clock in the morning, walking up and down the beach, singing my head off. I don't even know what I'm singing. I'm just singing, and I'm singing, and I'm singing. And I spent like two hours out there on the beach that morning. And I will never, ever, ever forget that time. I didn't ask God for a thing. I didn't request anything. I didn't ask him for anything. It just, I felt for the first time in my life, I understood what God's grace upon me was. And the natural overflow, it had to come out and thanking him. And then the thanking reached a certain point where I couldn't thank no more. So I had to go to praising him. And it had to go even, I, co- I wanted to go as loud and as screaming as I could because I felt something inside, God's love. I got it for the first time. And it naturally had to overflow in praise and thanksgiving. When was the last time... I'm not saying to have a weird experience like I had. Like I, I'm not saying like that. Each one of us is unique. When was the last time you had a moment like that where you did nothing other than praise God, thank God, and when was the last time you were just overflowing with the goodness of God, goodness is not right, the greatness of God, and it just came out in one way or the other? You look at what I'm saying, and some of you would say, well, I'm not an emotional person. And some would say, that's like, I'm not into the emotional stuff. Look here, I got two kids. When I teach my kids to say thank you, it's not to do with emotion or emotional. I don't care if you're emotional or emotional. When someone does something good for you, you say thank you. doesn't matter if you're emotional or emotional. When someone does something good, you say good job. I don't care if you're feeling it or not feeling it. The expression of your thanksgiving may be emotional or less emotional. That's fine. We're all different. I don't care how you express it. I'm not saying you need to walk on the beach like I was. But what I'm saying is saying thank you is not an emotional thing. It's the right thing. Praising God is not an emotional thing. It's the correct thing. And then the form that that takes, the emotional may do it some way, the logical may do it another way, doesn't really matter. But the point is, when it's right, it's right. Remember I told you in the beginning, the kind of prayer I'm talking about today is not easy. I said I'm separating. And I'm saying that sometimes you have to go into a zone that you don't want feel comfortable with, and that's what I'm talking about today. The truth of the matter is, is we serve a great God. Our God cannot be contained in the heavens and the earth. Our God is immeasurable. He is infinite. His attributes are unfathomable. And if we are not praising him and appreciating who he is, then something is off in our spiritual life. 
Bible says this, and this is just one of myriad verses I could have I could have chosen. Psalm 106. Praise the Lord. This is a commandment. This is a command given. Praise the Lord. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His mercy endures forever. Who can utter the mighty acts of the Lord? Who can declare all his praise? Again, just so we're all clear, what we said from the very beginning of this series is there are many different rooms in the house of prayer. And we don't want, we don't want to be imbalanced. We don't want to be people who praise, but we don't repent. Or repent uh, and who don't wash, or who don't uh, uh, scripture. We want to be balanced. So whenever I talk about one, don't write it off and say, that's not me, I'm like this. We need all to be balanced. And there's an area where I think that a lot of us especially could use some work, and that's in this room of prayer. And I called it the dining room of prayer. Why the dining room? You know what the dining room is in most houses? The dining room is that kind of awkward room. It's kind of there. You use it like once in a blue moon on special occasions. That's what prayer is for us. It's like, well, you know, name Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Thank you, God, for everything you've ever done. You're the best. Uh, and then gimme, 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 gimme. So we kind of just token go into Thanksgiving and praise because we know it's like, thank you, God, for everything you give me. And we just kind of like go in there awkwardly every now and then. That's what the dining room is in most houses. It's a room you don't really use on a regular basis. But this room of praise, we need to go in there much more frequently, not just on Christmas and Thanksgiving and when our parents invite the important people over. We need to be in that dining room of a house of prayer on a much more regular basis. Because if you are not seeing all the good that God has done for you, and you don't realize every single day how lucky we don't believe in luck. How blessed you are to have him as your father. Something's not right. Little orphan Annie, the day that she doesn't thank Big Daddy Warbucks for taking her off the street is a day where something ain't right. And a lot of us in our spiritual lives, we as little orphan Annie, we gotten too comfortable in Big Daddy Warbucks' house, and we have forgotten how great our father is and how magnificent he has been to us. And if we are not thanking him, we are not praising him on a regular basis, either we're self-centered Either we are ignorant of the good things that he has done for us, or we just flat out don't care. Something isn't right. Let's look in the Bible and see where does praise and thanksgiving come from the Bible. And the reason that I'm using them interchangeably, like I'm kind of going back and forth, because like I said, it's all one genre, okay? The Bible uses the two terms interchangeably, Psalm 35 and 100. Uh, 35 verse 18, I will give thanks in the great assembly. I will praise you among many people. So again, the Bible says, I'll give you thanks, I'll praise. We put them together. And then Psalm 100, verse 4, enter his gates with thanksgiving, enter his courts with praise. Be thankful to him and bless his name. Is there a difference between praising and thanksgiving? Yeah, I mean, I guess if you dissect it, there is. Like, thanksgiving is like for something that you've received, something he's done. Praise is like for who he is. But to me, it's like splitting hairs. Like, if you're doing one, you're doing the other. If you're not doing one, you're probably not doing the other. So let's not, let's not, like, split hairs right here it's the same genre of seeking nothing but just appreciating who he is and what he has done for us did you know in the old testament king david had someone in the tabernacle a group of people whose only job was to praise god and thank god first chronicles 16 4 says and he appointed some of the levites to minister before the ark of the lord to commemorate to thank and to praise the lord god of israel that was their job you people, you prepare the sacrifice. You people take care of the animals. You people stand here and you do nothing other than sing and praise and give thanks to God. That's how important it was. Even go back further in the Old Testament. God, when he gave the system for sacrifices, said one of the sacrifices is called a thank offering. Leviticus 7.12. If someone offers it for a thanksgiving, then he shall offer with the sacrifice of thanksgiving unleavened cakes mixed with oil, unleavened wafers anointed with oil, or cakes of blended flour mixed with oil. Connected Thanksgiving and cakes, okay, right there. The important thing is, is that the Bible makes a big deal out of this offering of thanks and this job of thanks. King David, okay, commanded many times in the Psalms. And I'll give you just a couple examples. Psalm 95. King David, the man after God's heart, who the God said about this guy, I like his heart. Look what he was. He was, oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving. Let us shout joyfully to him with psalms. And then the rest of the psalm continues, but I just got the first verse. And we'll get the last one here, Psalm 96. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. That's what I was doing on the beach. Sing to the Lord, bless his name. Proclaim the good news of his salvation from day to day. 
For the Lord is great and greatly to be praised. Why is it important for us? Why does God make such a big deal out of praise and thanksgiving? Like, you ever think about it from God? Like, why does God, is God like, like, is God like a dictator? Come, kiss my hand. Tell me how great I am. Tell me how, how magnificent I am. Is that how God is? Like, is God arrogant? Or is God insecure? He needs us to praise him and tell him, no, you're the best. You're the best. We love you. You're the best. Why, as a father, do I tell my kid, when I give you your sandwich, you say, thank you, sir. Why do I tell that to my kid? Because it's the right thing to do, is to appreciate what he's been given. I'm not saying because I'm, I'm a glory hog and I need to be thanked and praised all the time. I need my kid to understand that without daddy, no sandwich. And then when you go to your neighbor, when you go to Billy's house, and Billy's dad gives you a sandwich, you say, thank you, Mr. Billy's dad, sir. Because this is the right way that you should approach life. When someone gives you something, you say, thank you. This is what we teach our kids. How much more so with our Heavenly Father do we need to be thanking and praising? When I teach my kids to give thanks and to honor me as their parents and to honor elders, it's not for my sake. It's for their sake. And God is the same. Let's get into now the benefits. The benefits of why it's important for us to praise God and thank God, especially when we're not feeling like we want to. Three things. Number one, praise and thanksgiving is the expression of our faith. It is the expression of our faith. And forgive me, but I'm going to offend some people now. If you are not praising, you are not thanking God on a regular basis, your theology is garbage. Because your theology is put to the test and how you praise God and how you thank God and how you live when times are tough. Why do I say that? Easy for us to sit here and say, we believe in one God, God the Father, the Punter Quartor, who created heaven and earth and all things seen and unseen. Easy for us to say, Romans 8, 28, we believe that all things work together for good to those who love God. Easy for us to say God is in control of the entire universe. That's our theology. But then how come when it comes to reality and I'm in a tough situation, all that theology goes out the window and all of a sudden it's chaos and how could you God and where are you God? Then I come in church on Sunday, no, but I believe in God. Okay, well, show me your belief in God. Don't tell me you believe in God when times are good. Show me you believe in God when times are bad. Easy, anyone can say we believe in God. You want to say you want to believe in God? Show me that you believe in God when you don't see God and God isn't giving you what you want. That's true theology. True doctrine is lived out, is not preached about. Doctrine, theology isn't philosophy class. Say that we believe this about God, we believe this about God. Put your money where your mouth is and live it. And if you believe that all things work together for good to those who love God, then put yourself in that category and thank God even when things aren't working. You know who lived this theology? You know who was the best theologian in this regard? A guy named Job in the Old Testament. No one had more adversity than Job. And no one saw more tough times. You think you've seen tough times? You think you got it bad at home? You think you got it bad at your office or lack thereof of an office? You think that you got it tough? Mr. Job had times 10. And when Job was in his tough time, his wife, who was a believer in God as well, but like I said, her theology was just here, but it wasn't here. She came and said, man, just curse God and die. Just complain and say, God, you're the worst. God, you haven't given us nothing. God, you haven't taken care of us. Just be bitter and be angry, and let's enjoy the rest of our day before we die. Look what Job said to her, or what she said first. Then his wife said to him, do you still hold fast to your integrity? Curse God and die. And Job said to her, you speak as one of the foolish women speaks. Shall we indeed accept good from God, and shall we not accept adversity? And in all this, Job did not sin with his lips. There's a man who had deep spiritual maturity. There's a man who had a real theology, who had a real, we believe in one God. There's a man who really believed in God. Because when times got tough, and his buttons got pushed, and his arm got twisted, he said, you know what, I still believe in God. And that's not going to make me curse God. None of this stuff is going to make me. I believe that all things work together for good to those who love God. I believe that if our earthly house, earthly tent, this house is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. All the stuff that we say and we write in our quiet time journal, Job said, I believe it. We don't believe it. If we believed it, we would do it like he did. Another story in the New Testament. Book of Acts, chapter 16. It's a story about one time Paul and Silas. Disciples of our Lord 
were obeying the command of Christ when he said, go out there and preach to the people and proclaim my name. And as a result of their obedience to God's command, what was the result for all their obedience? It says, then the multitude rose up together against them, and the magistrates tore off their clothes and commanded them to be beaten with rods. And when they had laid many stripes on them, they threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to keep them securely, having received such a charge he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. Here I am. I love you, God. Here I am. I'm Paul. I love you, God. I believe in God. Okay. God says, I, says to you, I love you. I believe that. God says, I forgive you. I believe that. God says that go and preach and I'll be with you forever. Okay, I believe that. And then I get out there and I preach. And God is not with me anymore, it seems. I'm beaten. I'm whipped. I'm put in prison. I'll put in the inner prison. I got my feet in the thing. And someone says, do you believe that God takes care of you when you preach? You say, no, look, I don't believe in that. But St. Paul still believed. Even he's sitting there, that's why the next verse says, but at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. The prisoners were listening to them. This is the strangest verse in the Bible. Because if this was any one of us, it would say, but at midnight, Father Anthony was cursing and screaming and ripping his hair out. That's what it would say. At best, it would say, Father Anthony kept his mouth shut and didn't complain. At best. What was Paul and Silas doing? Saying all the stuff that we believe, we still believe. None of the stuff is any different. We said that we believe in God when times are good. We believe in the same God when times are bad. We said when good comes to us, we accept it. Well, when bad comes to us, it's the same God. Like the same God who blessed you at work. Same God who took away work. Same God. Either you accept or you don't accept. It's the same. It's the same hand that's feeding you. One day it feeds you chicken, one day it feeds you vegetables. It's the same hand. And then the true, again, the true theologians, the true people who believed and had the right doctrine, as the story goes, says, after that, suddenly there was a great earthquake, so the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were open and everyone's chains were loose. So they were praising God and they were singing. And then the gates opened, and they were free. What do you do if you're free? Run for your life. Okay, and you go back to your room, you lock the door, and you say, whew, thank God he delivered us. God came through in the clutch. What did they do? It says, and the keeper of the prison, awaking from sleep and seeing the prison doors open, support, supposing the prisoners had fled, drew his sword and was about to kill himself. Okay, that's fine. What's that got to do with me? It doesn't have to do anything with me. God freed me. I'm going home. But Paul called with a loud voice saying, do yourself no harm, for we are all here. He sees the, the jailer and he says, hold on, let's have a discussion here, man. Take it easy. And he begins to do what to the jailer? What does he do with him? What's the only thing he does? He preached. Preach! Like God, you preached, you went to jail, God freed you from jail. You go back to preaching? He went and preached and he preached and he preached and he preached and he ended up preaching, goes to the guy's house and they spoke the word of the Lord to him and all who were in his house and he took them the same hour of the night and washed their stripes. And immediately he and all his family were baptized. And when he had brought them into his house, he had set food before them. And he rejoiced, having believed in God with all his household. You believe? You believe? Belief must manifest itself in action. And belief in who God is manifests itself in not complaining about God, not being resentful towards God, but in praising God and thanking him regardless of what the circumstances might be. It's an expression of our faith. Number two, benefit, importance of praising and thanking on a regular basis. It brings joy out of pain. It brings joy out of pain. Look, psychologists prove this stuff, and don't ask me to, I don't understand how this stuff works, but I know spiritually. And the truth of the matter is, is what you say with your lips has an impact on what you think in your mind, okay? It's not the backwards. It's not your thoughts affect this. It's this affects this. And you can change this, like I was speaking in the sermon earlier today, that you can change this by what you say here. And the words you say, you can talk yourself into stuff. Now, obviously within reason. I'm not saying like in a crazy way. But the point is, is that when you're feeling down and you're feeling like you got nothing to thank God for, when you push yourself and you... And you, you push yourself to thank God and to praise God, it can change your attitude and your perspective and bring joy out of pain. Don't believe me? Again, let's go to the scripture. 
Go to a passage from Isaiah chapter 54. Old Testament, there's a lady. It's like a, it's a, it's like a metaphorical situation. But God is speaking to a lady who is barren. Now, in the Old Testament, if you were barren, meaning you had no children, how was this perceived by people in the times, in the culture? It was perceived as a curse from God. Not as you have like a medical thing or like there's not a medical thing. It was if God loves you, he gives you kids. If God loves you more, he gives you more kids. Think how backwards that is now, parents. Okay. If God loves you, he gives you more kids. Okay. Now, parents, we might say the opposite. But back then, the more kids you had, the more God loved you. And if you had no kids, it was a curse upon you. So God is speaking to this lady who is barren. Her house is empty. Her womb is empty. Her husband hates her guts. Because it was always the woman that was cursed. It was never the man that was cursed. It was never, they can't have kids, so it's the man. It was always the woman. God hates this woman. So she feels about as low and miserable as possible. And especially this man could just go get another wife and enjoy his time with the other wife. And this woman was just kind of thrown to the side. She's in a miserable situation. And there is 0% chance of this situation improving. What would you advise this lady? How to solve your problem? Look how God advises you. Isaiah 54, 1. Sing, O barren, you who have not born. Break forth into singing and cry aloud, you who have not labored with child. For more are the children of the desolate than the children of the married woman. What is God's advice to her? You come to me in confession. Say, Father Anthony, like I'm struggling. My life is miserable. And like, I got nothing going at home. I had nothing with my friends. I had nothing at work. My life is miserable. And there's no hope. I say, okay, I got your answer. I need you to go home and sing. Excuse me? Sing. Don't just sing, but sing and break forth into singing and cry aloud. Bust out your songbook and go ballistic that your neighbors end up complaining from the singing and the rejoicing that's going on in apartment 303. That's the advice that God gave to this woman. And he says to her something, again, to prove her theology. He's testing her theology here. He's saying, look, I'm telling you, I'm God. You believe in me? More are the children of the desolate than the children of the married. Excuse me? He's saying, you may be desolate, but I'm telling you to sing, and the one who sings in a bad situation will be more blessed than the one who is not in that situation. Kind of a confusing thing. He goes on. It says, enlarge the place of your tent. And let them stretch out the curtains of your dwellings. Do not spare. Do not, I'm sorry, do not spare. Lengthen your cords. Strengthen your stakes. For you shall expand to the right and to the left. And your descendants will inherit the nations and make the desolate cities inhabited. What is God saying here? Do you understand what this imagery is? Saying expand. Don't spare anything. What is he saying? He's saying go get a big piece of land. Go buy a big house. Put 10, 15 bedrooms in that bad boy. You're going to fill that thing up. She's saying I'm barren. I got nothing. He's saying no, no, no. I'm telling you, sing and go get a big house. See what I'm saying about how it's testing your belief, testing your theology? We would say, okay, God, give the kids, then I'll buy, like, I'll buy the crib after you give me the kid. He said, no, go buy the crib now. Go buy 15 cribs and go borrow more cribs from all the people that you know. In God's way, it's not I give you and then you praise. It's you praise and then I give you. I was just talking to someone the other day, and we were talking about when, when, when Moses was at the Red Sea. When Moses was at the Red Sea, he's standing here on this side of the sea, and he's saying, God, what do I do? And God said, I'm going to take you to the promised land. I'm going to give you rest. I'm going to give you peace. I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you. Moses said, okay, this is great, God, but there's a Red Sea in front of me. God, give me the peace and the rest. No. Go through the sea, and after you have obeyed, and after you have believed, and after you have trusted, you will find the peace and rest. You know what our problem is? is we're standing here on this side, and we're saying, okay, God, I want to obey, and I want to sing, and I want to praise. Give me the rest so I can praise. And God says, no, you will never find rest on this side. You obey, you stop complaining, you stop your bitterness, and you trust, and you praise, and you thank, and you put that smile on your face, you put that smile on your heart, and you trust me, and then you'll find the rest. Too many of us take the promises of God, which are meant for that side of obedience, and we are claiming them on this side, and you will never claim the promises of God on this side of obedience, ever. 
the quote that I like so much that maybe all have seen it. It says, stop telling God how big your problems are and start telling your problems how big your God is. It's nice, isn't it? Stop standing here and saying how big your problems are. Start going to your problems and praise in the face of those problems. The problems come, you praise God in the face of them. And the problems come more, you thank God in the midst of them all. And the more it comes, the more I'm fighting back with praise and thanksgiving. Let, let, let's be logical. What, why does it work this way? Like, how, how does it work that praise and thanksgiving helps solve the problems and bring joy out of the pain? All right, we're going to do this interactive style. All right, everyone, hold up two fingers like this. All right, and everybody look at your right, your right, okay? Focus on your right finger, okay? Focus on, you got both eyes on that bad boy. Now, what I want you to do is as they're right there, you can kind of see both fingers, but as you focus on that one, then I want you to take your left one and kind of move it over to the side, okay? Move it over to the side. As you're focused here, that problem, that's your problem, okay? All you can see is that. Now, I want you to take that left one, okay, put it back in front of you, and I want you to move it closer to you, and I want you to focus now on the left one. Focus on the left one. Move it closer to your face. Move it closer to your face. Move it closer to your face. This looks really cool from here. I should have taken a picture while I could. <laughs> what happened to the right one? Is it still there? Did it get smaller? Is it still there? Did it change in any way? What changed? Your perspective on it. Okay, hands down. Your perspective changed on it. Your problem will always be there in life. You got problems, I got problems, we got problems. There no, no one who doesn't have problems. If you're married, you got problems. If you're a kid, you got problems. If you're single, you got problems. Everyone got problems. Everyone's got problems. Everyone's got the problems. The difference is, is who is the one who takes God and brings God closer and closer? You know the expression in the Bible, oh, magnify the Lord? You know, magnify the Lord? What does magnify mean? Makes bigger. Makes something bigger. Magnify the Lord. This ain't going away. Too many of us are trying to chop this finger off. And we think that the solution of life is when we chop the finger off. Man, that finger ain't going anywhere. In fact, as life continues, okay, you're going to have more of these fingers pop up. But what I want is not this to go away. I want this to become bigger. I don't want it to be that this thing is right between the eyes, right there, that I can't see nothing else. You could have 50 of them right there, but all I'm focusing on is that God right in front of me. That's what happens when we praise. That's what happens when we thank God. That's what happens when we sing to him. Check the cobwebs out. Check the cobwebs out. The first two reasons why we need to thank God and praise God were focused on benefits to me. But I would be committing a sin... If I stopped here and didn't tell you the most important reason that we should thank God and praise God. Again, why should kids thank their parents and honor their parents? I read a nice quote that said, if we could only see the heart of God, if we could only see the heart of the Father, thanksgiving and praise would never leave our lips. You know one of the worst things that we can do? It is so easy to take God and make God into a robot and to make God into a indestructible, invincible Superman of a person that has no feelings and no emotions and he's almighty and he casteth down things and smiteth to the left and raiseth upeth to the right and we make God into this rock, this boulder and not into a person. And we forget that God above all else is our Father who is in heaven. Why, sorry, why we need to praise God because it pleases the heart of our Father. Our God is not made of stone. Our God is made, we were made in the image of God. When God came down and took flesh in the form of his son, Jesus Christ, he took flesh, and he took on everything that we have, including our emotions. And we have made God into an impersonal robot that he's just up there to answer prayers. Any father, nothing delights his father's heart more than when his kid comes and says, Hey, Dad, thank you. Don't believe me? We'll go to the story from Luke chapter 17. It's a story of one time when Jesus met up with ten lepers who were in a bad situation. It says, verse 12, then as he entered a certain village, there met him ten men who were lepers, who stood afar off, and they lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, 
Master, have mercy on us. They didn't start praising God. They started by saying, give us, give us, give us. This is how we always start our prayer. This is the simple prayer. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, returned. And with a loud voice glorified God, fell down on his face at his feet, giving him thanks. And he was a Samaritan. So Jesus healed 10 guys who were lepers. And they cried, said, please help us. Jesus said, okay, goodness of his heart, healing, 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 healing. And then they all go. And then one comes back and says, thank you, Jesus. You're the best. I really appreciate that. And now look what the next verse says. Look, look, this is verse 17. So verse 16 says that he came back, give thanks. Jesus didn't say, I appreciate that. Jesus didn't say, you're a great guy. Jesus' focus was not on the guy who came back, but look at Jesus' heart. Look at the heart. Jesus answered and said, were there not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Like, do you hear it in his voice? Weren't there ten people that I healed? Where's the other nine? Were there not any found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? I told you all this last week. When you read the scriptures, don't just read what Jesus says. See how Jesus thinks. See how Jesus feels. Our God is not a God made of stone. When these guys didn't come back, Jesus was sad. He was hurt. I gave to 10 of my kids. Only one of them came back to say thank you. And then the other nine are going to walk in next week and say, hey, we want to go to the bedroom. We want the intimacy. Excuse me? You're missing something here. Our God, there's no act, no act, even the smallest act that goes unnoticed with God. Jesus said a cup of cold water will never go unnoticed. Nothing, the smallest. You know who God is? Okay, my wife. One of the things that my daughter Lizzie likes to do, okay, is she likes to, as I'm sure many daughters like to do, is they want to give, like, flowers to mom. So what Lizzie does she goes to the yard, I think they're called dandelions, those yellow things, because they're weeds, okay? But in Lizzie's mind, they're flowers. So what does she do? She picks them, and she's like, these are flowers. And she gives flowers to mom. And she has flowers in her room, okay, and flowers here. And she to her, they're flowers. And for me, this is a very economical form of flowers, so I'm all, I'm all for it, okay? It's like a win-win scenario. What does mom do when Lizzie brings, in her mind, a bouquet of flowers, which is dandelions and weeds? Oh, thank you so much. That's so sweet. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Because the mom or the father is touched by the fact that the kid even thought the flowers, they're trash. They're weeds. They just get stuck in stuff like they stink. But as a father, I love them because I want my kid to thank me. And I want my kid to show me that he loves me or she loves me. And I want my kids not to praise me in the sense of praise me, but I want my kids to honor me. And I want my kids to know how much I love them and how much I do for them. And I want them to appreciate that. God is the same way. Do not make God into a stone. Do not make God into a robot. God is a father above all else. And I'm telling you, that day when I stood on that ocean and I'm belting out, top of my lungs, screaming whatever lyrics I could think of, making up words, all the angels were like, ah, dandelions, dandelions. But the father was like, oh, man, this is so beautiful. And he loved it. Practically speaking, how do we get started? I'm going to go through three tips real quick. And I'm going to run through them. There's no right way or wrong way. We said in the beginning, the only wrong prayer, y'all remember? What's the only way to do a prayer wrong? Is to do it insincerely. Okay, so if the prayer is insincere, it's wrong no matter what you do. And if it's sincere, it's right no matter what you do. But just some tips to help you get started. I'll give you three ones right here. Start small, use psalms, sing songs. Sort of rhymes. Start small, use psalms, sing songs. They rhyme, sort of. Start small. Don't start by trying to praise God for his omnipotence and his omniscience and his almightiness and his don't try to praise him for these big, huge things which you don't really understand or don't really care about. It's insincere. Start small. Start small by trying to find little things that you thank God for. And if you notice, in your do-it-yourself project this week, your job, okay, for the next five days, okay, we do all of our do-it-yourself projects five days, Monday through Friday. 
Every day, you want to come up with a list of five things that you thank God for. And I encourage you to write it down. And I encourage you to write down the five on Monday, and then on the same piece of paper, write down the five on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and you can't repeat. Okay? So you can't say, thank you for my mom on Monday, and then thank you for my dad on Tuesday. No, no, no. Parents is one genre. Okay? No repeats. Find five things every day to thank God for, and writing it down will help it make it more real. Start small. And as we grow in this practice, okay, what I'm hoping with my children is that not just at the end of the day, they get to the end and say, thank you for what you did in the morning, and thank you for this at lunch. I'm hoping that as they give them something in the morning, their instant reaction is, thank you, God. And as the, I give them something in the afternoon, thank you, God, or thank you, Dad, okay? You know what I'm trying to say. I'm hoping that the thankfulness isn't an activity at the end of the day in a forced kind of a way, but I'm hoping it's a natural reaction, and I'm hoping we get better at that as well. Have your set time, but also try throughout your day to say thank you, God, for the little things that may be coming up. Number two, use psalms, and especially when it comes to the psalms. If you remember when we talked about structured prayer, the book of the hours, the Egbeya, I would strongly encourage you to use the ninth hour because the ninth hour okay, of the prayers is all psalms of praise. And all of them, the ones that I pulled up, sing to the Lord a new song. Oh, shout to the Lord, make a joyful noise before the Lord. Like all of them are songs of praise and psalms of praise. David was the guy who God said, the father said, his heart is my favorite one. So when we learn from him by using the psalms, we can hopefully get to that same place. And then the last one, sing songs. Why I say sing songs? Because there's something powerful about music. And there's something powerful about singing that you cannot achieve when you are intellectually, you can't reach it, but emotionally and soul-wise, you get there through music. They say language is the music of the soul. I always say that when you're feeling the presence of God, like if I say, when did you feel the presence of God the most? Nine out of 10 people are gonna point to a time where there was singing involved. It was liturgical and we were praising God together and we felt the presence of God or we were singing at a, a group, we had the guitar, we were, like you feel that usually more than listening to a sermon. Like listening and talking is here, but singing is here. We all know the power of songs. Just, just to show you the power of songs, on, it was Wednesday. I ended up listening, I heard a song, okay, and it's been stuck in my head for four days Okay, a song from, like, I, and I was on Pandora, and then I found, like, there was, like, a, the nine, I finished up my, I usually listen to, like, instrumental to focus. Then I saw a little thing that said, like, a 90s channel. So I'm like, hey, 90s music, right? So I pulled it up there, and it happened to be Boys to Men, okay? That's, like, that's, like, my childhood. So I listened to one Boys to Men song, and now I'm waking up literally in the middle of the night, and I'm Motown Philly. <laughs> Motown Philly all night long is in my head. I can't get the song out my head, because there is a power to music. Okay, and we want to use that in a positive way. If you don't know what Motown Philly is, you go Google that when you get home. <laughs> Ephesians chapter 5, verse 20. Speak to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Most important thing, whether you start small, start big, use psalms, don't use psalms, sing, whatever it is, Start somewhere. Last verse, I want to leave you all with this. 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 16 through 18 says, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks. Why? See how it connected? Praise and thanking. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks. Why? Because this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. You know that whole God's will question that we all struggle with? What's God's will? What's God's will? It's not very often in the Bible that it says the will of God is, but here it says what the will of God is. It's not the complete will of God, like there's other factors to God's will, other than just singing, like there's all kinds of things. But if you are not rejoicing, praying and giving thanks, then you cannot say that you are in the will of God because God has ordered us to praise him because he knows that it is the medicine for our soul. When you're up, praise is good. When you're down, praise is essential. When you're up, praise is good. When you're down, praise is essential. Because it is the only thing that will lift you out of the pits 
that we find ourselves in. My hope and my prayer that if we start to take, remember this game, the same energy that we use to try to knock these problems down, try to chop it down, and it never, ever, ever works. It fails after fails after fails after fails. If I use that same energy and I invest it in praising God and bringing God closer and worshiping God and magnifying the Lord, I'm going to use that same energy not to chop my problems but to praise the Lord. And I promise you, the fruits and the results of it will be significantly more than the other way. Let's stand for a prayer now. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Lord, what can we say to thank you and praise you in a way that, that's fitting for all that you do for us, all that you give to us? Lord, we're only standing here today because of your goodness and your grace. And Lord, we pray that you, you, you'd forgive us for being like ungrateful and always looking at ourselves and always focused on, on our needs and, and forgive us for turning you into a robot. Remind us always, Lord, that you are our Father and you desire nothing from us to be except your children. You don't want servants, you don't want slaves, you want children. So please, Lord, help us take this message to heart and change our ways and learn how to praise you. And I pray that those who are struggling today would really learn how to praise you and those who are really struggling would really, really learn how to praise you that you'd lift us all out of our pits through the work that we put into praise and thanksgiving. Accept our prayers this day in the name of your only begotten Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, and through the intercessions and prayers of all your saints. Hear us as we pray thankfully. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Through Christ Jesus our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Have a great week, guys. Of the Lord, picked up and dusted off their swords, vowed to set the captive free, and not let Satan.